so the door opens and the custodian is there and he's emptying the trash and he stops and he looks up and he goes what are you doing and I said oh we're just talking and he goes I know what you two kids are doing in here and I'm gonna go get somebody to get you out of here and he took off I looked at Margaret and I go, oh boy. So we both like slowly walked out of the school. Once we were outside the school, we saw the custodian come back with the assistant principal and there's a lot, it was like a TV show. There was lots of arm waving. Those kids were in there, I tell you. They were in there and they were probably doing stuff like talking and stuff. But we weren't doing anything. Misunderstood shenanigans. You kids. This is the Life's Learning Curve podcast, and I'm Paul Hart. Welcome back to Studio 502 here in the mid-Midwest. Not all of life is made up of shenanigans. I think most of my life was fairly mundane, and that's why we kind of create shenanigans in our life. My dad used to say, hold the flashlight for me while I work on this, whether he was repairing a leaky faucet or we're under the sink or we're out working on the car. Hold the flashlight, uh, run inside, get me a Phillips head screwdriver, you know, that type of thing. You learn some things. And one of the things is, if I wasn't here, what would I be doing? He pulled the light. You start to daydream. You start to think things up. I think that's where a lot of the playful, innocent shenanigans came from in my childhood. I had a great family life and a couple of great parents that were so good to us. Strict when they needed to be strict and fun when they could be fun. The very first thing I thought of when I thought about the concept of shenanigans when I was a kid was the telephone at my house. We had three phones in our house, one on the main floor, uh, mounted on the wall, one upstairs, one in the basement. If the phone rang, this was back in the day, when the phone rang, everybody in the house went, I'll get it! We all ran to the phone. No, no, I'll get it. I'll get it. Think about these days. When your cell phone rings or your phone rings, you don't want to answer it. Because it's not that it's bad news, but it's generally a sales call. Or some kind of robo this or that that wants something from you, or it hangs up even before you answer the phone. So... It's different times now, but when you're a kid, I'll get it. it. Now, I was not allowed to answer the telephone when I was a kid until I learned phone etiquette from my mom. My sister learned phone etiquette first, and I heard her use it. And right away, I was three and a half years younger, and I said to my mom, I've got to do this. I've got to learn how to answer the phone because I want to answer the phone. I need to answer the phone. Might be somebody important. Maybe not. So my mom sat me down and said, okay, here's what I showed your sister and told her. When you answer the phone, you say, thank you for calling the Hart Residence. This is Paul. How can I help you? Sounds kind of like a business. But that's what we said. When somebody said, may I speak to your father? Or may I speak to your mother? I would say, yes. Hang on, please. And then you'd run and go, Mom! Mom! Telephone! Telephone! Totally blowing all the etiquette out of the water just because you're so excited that somebody got a phone call. (laughs) So, 
My mother would get in the phone. I'm so sorry for my son. He gets a little excited when the phone rings, making me sound like I'm some kind of a uh, freaky kid or something. But that's just the way it was back then. So, my shenanigans. What happened? Well, every time my mom went to the grocery store, she bought fruits, vegetables. She was really good about the balanced diet, the balanced foods. And one of the fruits she would buy would be bananas. So... Usually on the days that groceries came home, I would take one of the bananas and disconnect it from the bunch. And then I would go over to the main floor phone, take the phone off the hook, stuff the receiver underneath the cushion of the chair by the phone, and then I would hang the banana on the hook of the phone. Well, this led to hilarity. Anyway, when the phone did ring, my mom would walk over and she'd see the banana there and she'd say, what, what in the world? Paul, where I- And you pick up the banana, and you actually see her go, hello, hello? into the banana, because you're so flustered, because there's that emergency. you got to pick the phone up thing. Shenanigans. My sister and I did not care for our parents smoking. We never took it up as adults ourselves. But... My parents grew up in an era where they didn't know the dangers of smoking. The people just didn't know. Plus, as my dad said, in World War II, they would drop bushel baskets full of cigarettes, and the soldiers would all grab them, and it gave them something to do. They could smoke while they were waiting for whatever. When the war ended, there was a whole nation full of cigarette smokers that were on the scene, my mom included. She had learned and started smoking in New York when she went out there during World War II. Came home a smoker. Okay. So my sister and I are born, and we're used to seeing our parents smoke. Matter of fact, one of my chores was I had to empty the ashtrays every Saturday. Empty the ashtrays, put them in the sink, clean the ashtrays out. I can remember riding in the car, our 1960 Delta 98 would be driving in the summer and the windows would be down, and we had seats that were ours in the car. It's like having your seat at church. You always kind of want to sit in the same spot. We had that in the car. My dad drove. I rode behind him. My mom sat in the front seat passenger. My sister rode behind her. So on those great Sunday drives, which I remember so well, we had all the windows down and we could hear the the crickets and the breeze was blowing in and blowing our hair and we're all feeling really summer-like and of course my parents would light up a cigarette in the car and I guess when you have a cigarette burning you can take the cigarette and just hold it out the window and it'll blow the ashes off and it's you know just does the trick for you but I do recall maybe three or four times my mom doing that and the ashes blowing back into the back seat right to my sister's face so basically I'd just be sitting there in the back seat and i watch my mom flick ashes then I'd hear ah! she was a good sport about it shenanigans as I've said on several other podcasts My parents would take driving vacations, usually Easter vacation, spring break, and we drove down to Biloxi, Mississippi. It's a place my parents had always wanted to see. It was on the coast. It was the first time I saw an ocean. When we got down there, we came across this place that was, it was a mall, 
but it was one of the very first malls I'd ever seen before. So all the stores were inside, and, and you could go from place to place. So if it was raining, you didn't get wet. It made terrific sense. But one of the two stores I was interested in, because, you know, my mom and my sister were off shopping, uh, my dad was interested in the, the sports stores, or he and I would just sit in chairs and watch the people. But there was a pet store, and there was a trick shop. It had magical tricks and things in there. And I can remember purchasing from the trick shop. I didn't have much money. I only probably took uh, $3 with me, something like that. But I had enough to purchase a pretend... Well, actually, they were real because they worked. They looked like matches. You could open the flap of the matches, and there would be matches in there, and there was a little area where you could strike the matches, and they'd flame up. But what made these matches so magical was the trick within them. And the trick was you could open these matches up, put a little lever back, and insert a cap. Now, for those of you who don't know, a cap is what we used to put in toy guns. It was just a small amount of powder that would just make a popping sound. Pop! Like a, not like a gunshot, but just a toy gun sound. It was enough to startle you. So this is a pack of matches that had this pullback cap inserted, and then you'd close the matches up. So I couldn't wait. We got back to the motel room. I know my parents were both smokers. I didn't know which one was going to get the pack of matches first that would explode on them. But, as usual, it was my mom. I can remember her sitting down in the chair and I was brushing my teeth in the motel room bathroom. And all of a sudden I heard my mom go, ah! And then I hear, Paul, what is this? What is this? Well... Because it didn't happen to my dad or my sister or me. We had a good laugh. She was a good sport about it. She came out and she said, Do you not like me smoking? And I thought about it and I thought, Well, no, I don't. And I think that surprised her. Because it was before cigarettes were known to be harmful. Two other times on that trip, I loaded it up and set it on the table. Now the third time... Bam! It was always my mom that got it. So my mom got so angry after the third time, and I can't blame her, you know. Uh, she threw them away in the garbage. Later on, I went and fished them out of the garbage and reloaded them again. <laughs> Put them at the same table for the fourth time. Bam! I hear, that's it! That's it! And she took the match thing and she tore it in half and into the garbage it went. I didn't use the trick matches anymore after that. However, I did fish them out of the garbage, taped them together, and brought them home, but I never had the nerve again to set them up in front of my mom, at least. Shenanigans. There was a time where my dad was involved with some kinds of shenanigans, and that's okay, because not all of are full of misery or surprise or trickery. Every summer, my dad would take about two weeks off. He was a principal. He worked almost all year, but he'd take a couple weeks off in the summer. He would come back to the school, see what came in, and start to distribute books and go through all the protocol he had to go through at that time. 
So he would ask my sister and me, would you guys want to come out to school and help me sort books? Yeah. I mean, that, that was in the same category as the phone ringing. It, I was excited. Yes, I'd love to do that. So my sister and I went out to his school, and I can remember that particular year there was a new series of books that were English books. And he would uh, unbox the books in the office area, and he would say, okay, uh, here's 26 books. Take these down to room 105. So we had a cart, a movie projector cart. My sister and I would load 27 books, and we'd take it down to room uh, 105, and we'd unload them in front of the door, and we'd come back. And the second time, it's, okay, here's... uh, 29 books, take this to room 106. My sister said, you know what? There's that chair with rollers on it. Let's use that. And I said, okay. So we put the books on the rolling chair, and we pushed the rolling chair down the hall. That was easier. It was kind of fun. It was like steering a ride, like steering a car. We were delivering the next set of books, and my sister said, I'll tell you what. I'm going to sit in the chair, I'll hold all the books, and you push me down the hallway. Yeah. Oh my gosh, did we have fun. So there we were, shoving the chair down the hallway, and it became like a ride from a carnival, plain, innocent fun. We made our own fun back then. Well, my sister was really good at that. Originally, we had gotten to go out to my dad's school because he said, you know, if you go with and you help me, I'll get you a bottle of pop. They had a pop machine out there. It was RC Cola back then. It was, that machine was like icy cold, the bottles were. And it was summer. There was no air conditioning in any schools back then. I can remember getting this icy cold RC Cola, 12 ounces. It was so good. So what's the shenanigans? They haven't happened yet. Right before we left, my dad had said, okay, we've got about 10 minutes before I want to go. Let's play the intercom game. I was like, what? The intercom game. And it basically existed of this. And this is my dad playing with us at the school. He'd say, you and your sister go down to a classroom. And you go into that classroom, be really quiet. And through the process of elimination, I'll, I'll say, you're in this room over the intercom when I find you. So that was fun. We both giggled. We ran away. We ran down the hallway. We found a room and really quietly went in. My sister's looking at me and giving me the shh, shh sign. But it's hard not to laugh, so you giggle a little bit, but you stop. And you can hear the intercom going click, 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 click. Each room coming down the hallway, click, click. Finally gets to the room that we're in, click, click. And you hear... You're in this room. And we're like, <laughs> How did you know? How did you know? Well, an intercom could pick up the slightest, even breathing, at least the one that they had at that school. We had so much fun. We played the intercom game, and we do it two or three times. And my dad got us almost every time. Shenanigans. When I was in high school, I played percussion, and I was in a band, played drums during those years. It was so much fun to go practice, and my drums were set up in the basement. They made a lot of noise. 
their drums. So I would ask my parents if it was okay if I went and played drums for about 15 or 20 minutes after dinner each night. I can't think of a time they said no. They always were like, yes. You know, if it's 15 or 20 minutes, that's fine. So I would go uh, to the basement and sit down on the drums and just play the daylights out of them. Play hard, play fast, play slow. Had a great time. It also was a good way to get out aggressions. It must have sounded like World War III from upstairs. But in the basement, I knew what I was playing. I had a song in my head. I was playing it, and I was doing all the breaks. And inevitably, every single time I finished and came back upstairs when it was quiet again, my parents would both be standing in the kitchen, drinking probably their after-dinner cup of coffee, and they'd say, what song was that? And I'd always answer the same thing. Oh, that was Minuet in G by Brahms. And they'd just walk away. Simple homespun shenanigans. I remember one time it was summer. I was about uh, 10 years old, 11 years old, and my friends and I didn't have anything to do. And we had a vacant lot, two houses down from us. And it was just, there was no house. It was just overgrown with weeds. So there was lots of butterflies and there was bugs and caterpillars and stuff down there. So um, we decided the front part was flat and the rest was kind of hilly. So we went down with sickles and we cut the grass down there. And uh, eventually... uh, the owner of the lot came over and was knocking on all the neighbors' doors and saying, Who cut the grass on the lot? I said, I did. And he said, uh, Oh. Okay, I just want to know who's cutting the grass. Shenanigans. Confusing shenanigans. When I was in middle school... There were times I would uh, take the bus home, and other times I would walk back over to the school where my dad was principal, and I'd drive home with him. So it was about, I'd say probably 50% of the time I did one or the other, but my dad and I arranged it ahead of time. And one of these days, I had to wait for my dad because he had a faculty meeting, and I knew I could not leave until about 4 o'clock. I believe our school got out at 3.15, so... I wandered around my middle school and finally settled down in one of the rehearsal rooms. A friend of mine stopped by from band, and she was a flute player. Never had talked with her before. And we sat there, and and, uh, uh, we were just talking about school and stuff like that. It was nothing too phenomenal. So the door opens and the custodian is there and he's emptying the trash and he stops and he looks up and he goes, what are you doing? And and I said, oh, we're just talking. And he goes, I know what you two kids are doing in here and I'm going to go get somebody to get you out of here. And he took off. And I looked at this uh, girl, I think her name was Margaret. I looked at Margaret and I go, oh boy. And she goes, oh, man. So we both, like, slowly walked out of the school. Once we were outside the school, we saw the custodian uh, come back. There were big windows you could see in the stairwells. Um, 
we saw the custodian come back with the assistant principal, and there's a lot. It was like a TV show. There was lots of arm waving. Those kids were in there, I tell you. They were in there, and they were probably doing stuff like talking and stuff. But we weren't doing anything. Misunderstood shenanigans. You kids. There was another time in middle school where I was a a gym aide, and that meant you helped uh, the coach out, you uh, took role, you got the people lined up. It was pretty much an honor to do this, and it was fun. It kind of puts you in charge when you're a kid. So I was probably in 8th grade, and these kids were in 7th grade, so they'd have to get in line, they'd take attendance... And then the coach would come out and he'd say, uh, Hart, uh, get the balls out of the, the volleyballs out of the equipment room and get uh, three rackets. And they'd go do that. And then I would go to the office and turn in the attendance, which is what the teachers had to do, send somebody in. Well, apparently things had changed recently at the middle school. Anybody in the hallway that was walking the hallways without a pass was supposed to be snatched up and put into detention. Well, I was not a kid that ever was in detention for any reason at all. And so I've got my gym shorts on, i got my gym uh, uh, shirt on, my sneakers on, my gym clothes. And every day I walk to the office and I hand the attendance, third period, I hand the attendance to the attendance lady, Miss Franson. And I knew her because she was a friend of my sister's. And this math teacher comes up to me from behind, Mr. Deming, and he goes, Aha! Grabs me on the shoulder. Aha! <laughs> I got you now. <laughs> uh, sorry, I didn't mean to laugh. I got you now. I can remember this hand so heavy on my right shoulder. And he pulled me backwards and spun me around. And he says, You're going into detention. And which was the room right behind the attendance office, room 101. As I'm being taken away, I say to Miss Franson, help me get out of this. Go to the gym and tell the coach that they put me in detention. Next thing I know, I'm in... One oh one, the detention hall as they called it. And there's a variety of uh common criminals in there. And uh they're all just staring at me and you know, there's this t- this is like a John Hughes movie at this point where uh kids are looking at me, one kid mutters You're not in here usually. Why are you in here? What'd you do? You know. I just said nothing. I'm in my gym clothes, for goodness sakes. You know, I, everybody else has, it's dread, they're dressed. It's wintertime. I'm wearing a t-shirt and gym shorts. Anyway, I can remember the gym coach came, and man, was he mad at me. He came and he wrote out a pass, and he ripped it off and walked away. And I thought, well, at least I'm out of here. As Mr. Deming might say, aha, shenanigans. I was always fascinated while my dad went to get gasoline. Now, this is back in the full-service days. Even though you could get out and pump your own gas, there was a person that would run out and pump the gas for you. We'd pull up, and my dad, they'd say, regular or ethyl? My dad would say, ethyl. Anyway, the whole process was fascinating to me. And when I was about four years old, 
It confused me why my dad did not fill up the car at home, but he had to go somewhere to do it. So we had two cars, and the smaller car we had just gotten, our first second car, and it was an English Ford or, or a Triumph. And it was a nice little car and had a turn signal that flashed on and off from the handle. I thought that was pretty neat for back then. Haven't seen one since. While my parents were sitting at the dining room table talking, just having a nice conversation, I thought, I'm going to do something that's going to make Dad really happy with me. So four-year-old me took the garden hose, opened up the gas cap, figured out how to get it off, and I put the garden hose in to the gas tank. And I filled it up all the way to the top. was quite proud of myself. And when I finished, turned the hose off, put the hose away, put the cap back on. And with a big smile on my face, I came into the house and announced proudly to my parents, I just did something really good for you. And they both casually said, well, what's that? And I said, I filled the car up with gasoline. And there was that pause by my parents where they both were like, oh, okay, he's playing pretend. And then a look at my dad's face changed and he said, well, what do you mean you filled the car up? And I said, I filled the car up. It's all full. He said, tell me what you did. And I said, I took off the gas cap, put the hose in the gas tank, turned on the water, and filled it up to the top, and then I put it all away, Dad. He jumped up from his chair and said, oh, no, oh, no. My mom and Dad pushed the vehicle down the street, pushed it to the gas station. And where the mechanic there put it up on the rack. And I got very lucky that day. And they drained all the gas from the gas tank. And so none of the water had gotten into the engine. So my parents balanced on that line. They probably really talked about it. They sat me down and had this conversation. Paul, do not ever, ever fill the car up with what you call gasoline. That is not gasoline, it's water. We drink water. We cannot drink gasoline. Do you understand? Yeah. Water you can drink. Gasoline will kill you. Really? Yes. I learned that day not to put water from the hose into the car. Four-year-old me learned a new lesson. Innocent shenanigans. Why shenanigans is a podcast title? That's a good question. Today's show I want to dedicate to all my years I spent in education, both in technology and in the classroom. It was a few of those particular students, the ones with the dry wit, the commitment, the ones that were full of humor that kept my state of mind in check and made learning continue for me. The older I got, the clearer it became. We all learn from one another. In college, I never guessed that my students would remind me that some shenanigans was what I needed to employ in the classroom. It would become our sanity. So through all these years, it's interesting how we motivate each other. 
just in order to rediscover and remind ourselves who we are. Keep learning. For Life's Learning Curve, I'm Paul Hart. Our show is put together by producer Paul Hart, with assistance by Chuck Austin, Dwayne Tyner, and S.T. Dog. We are mixed by Randy Hanna, technical directed by Heidi Cerner. As always, musical assistance and closing theme by Riley Hart. Visit our website, lifeslearningcurve.buzzsprout.com. In today's show, some voices were digitally enhanced for entertainment purposes only. As always, don't forget to choose like on Facebook or subscribe on Apple Podcasts. I'm Paul Hart, and we will be back soon with more stories and tales from Life's Learning Curve. Thank you.